preface this message this morning with a couple of things. I want to take just a few moments to have a little bit of a history lesson. But as we try so desperately here to connect God's word with where we are in life, I think we're I think he's going to manage to do that this morning as we get into the book of uh, Haggai this morning. And um, so as we do that, I want to talk talk about the state of our nation just very briefly. And so many have prayed for Jesus to come and just fix us because we are so messed up. And in the Bible, we see times where God corrects his people. In fact, we see times where God just will destroy his people and nations if they're not obedient and they're not following him. Yet time and time again, God's people embrace sin. Rarely did they recognize the words of the prophets. Rarely did they recognize the warnings, but they usually paid the price for not doing that. The Bible records God continually to ask his people to keep on that straight and narrow path and not to be fooled by the evil one. Matthew 7, 21 reminds us that Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. Jesus was giving us a warning. I pray that we are listening to his warning. You see, in this nation, from the time it was founded, the American leaders have also warned us to do God's will. Those founding fathers were believers. George Washington said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor. We are the richest and most powerful nation on this earth. But yet does our nation humbly seek God's protection? Do we fear him? Or do we take him for granted? Do we seek what we personally desire? Nor are we being led by man or are we being led by God? Are we depending on everything from God? James Madison, our fourth president, wrote, We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. Are we doing that today? Our founders felt that God's word was so important that in 1782, the U.S. Congress assembled and recommended the King James Version of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States for their schools. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, your every breath that you take, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Declaration of Independence obeys that commandment. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The president didn't give us those rights. God did. Our creator endowed us we owe him for this nation. 
We know God to be God, one of mercy and kindness, but yet we forget that sometimes God is one of justice and repentance. God gave us free will, but we need to understand that that free will is like a double-edged sword. Do we love our neighbors as we do ourselves, or are we in a predicament as they were in Scripture? Second Timothy, the fourth verse, beginning, I mean the fourth chapter, beginning of the third verse. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. You know, during the time of the Vietnam conflict, Many Americans died from a dr- as many Americans died from drug overdose as those soldiers who gave their lives in battle. Yet, to, yet today we seek to legalize and reduce punishment for drug usage. Marriages have become less important to us, and about half the births have no husband or no father figure. Genesis chapter four, we find Cain has murdered Abel, and God came to Cain and said, "What have you done?" Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the soil. If God heard the voice of one man's blood crying out to him, how loud is the sound of the gush of blood of millions of the unborn? This has got to bring tears to God's eyes. How long will God tolerate this kind of lifestyle? So what do we do? How about some real soul searching and open your heart to him? Let us look and see what God said to the prophet Haggai about how the people were living and what was important to them. What did God say to them about where their focus of attention was? Haggai may be one of those Old Testament books that gets quickly skipped over, but the whole account of those two chapters to me, is incredibly practical for today. One may even think that it's intended for us living in this day or intended for the postmodern-day church, yet it was written 600 or so years before Christ walked on this earth. In the first chapter, we see the people had begun putting themselves before the Lord, focusing on building their own houses and neglecting the temple. In the years since returning from exile in Babylon, they had disregarded the house of God. Haggai receives a message from God for the son of the governor of Judea and for Jesus, the son of the high priest. We're going to focus on the first 15 chapters of the, I mean, first 15 verses of the first chapter. So if you want to open your Bibles and look at Haggai, Haggai, I'll say it right here in a minute. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. This is what the Lord of the heavens, heavens' armies says. These people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Notice one thing real, real quick. God now refers to these people, not my people, these people. You see, he has quickly put some distance between him and himself. Remember when God told Moses, your people are not acting right. 
In Luke, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you do not do the things I say? If we are God's people, then we should be doing the things that God has called us to do. I love that in this chapter, it refers to God as the Lord of heaven's armies. Not army, armies. If you want to do a little digging in that, I refer you to 1 Samuel, the first chapter, and a lady named Hannah as she reached out to the Lord. So we pick up in the third verse. Then the Lord sent the message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look what has happened to you. In other words, he's saying, what choices are you making? Are you really being focused? What decisions are you making? And then in the sixth verse, he says, you have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in the pockets filled with holes. The farmers worked hard on their crops every year, but the harvest would be inadequate. There was food but never enough. They had new clothes, but they weren't warm enough. God was showing them that if they tried to meet their own needs, they would never be satisfied. The people were like under a curse. As If you look in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, we see a chapter of God's curses. They were not following what God wanted them to do. They were giving lip service to God. So picking up in the 7th verse... That is what the Lord of the heavens army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure and be honored, says the Lord. God is being very direct with him now. Here's what you must do. Go back to what my commandment is for you. Build my house first. His glory comes first. Matthew 6, says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added. Beginning in the ninth verse now. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it is because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Wow. The Lord giveth and the Lord is about to taketh away. You see, this is about God and our obedience to him. 24th Psalm, the first verse says, what do I have? What could I possibly give to God? What could he possibly need from me? Well, he needs you, but so often we feel like there is nothing we can give, but we give because God wants to bless us. But when we withhold from God, striving to meet our own needs first, we fail to give God glory. And the glory is his and his alone. 
Our needs, wants, and desires often get in the way of God and what God wants to do in our lives. We cannot be sidetracked by putting any other endeavors before God. You see, his people that were reading about had a mission. They were to rebuild the temple. They weren't focused. That wasn't their choice. God called out to them. Or better yet, God called them out. They were working to make their homes look nice and the temple laid in ruin. So what happened next? Well, there was consequences for sin. And out of fear for the Lord, the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message of the Lord. They began with enthusiasm on working on his house. They obeyed the Lord and the Lord said, I am with you. God was asking, what are you doing building your homes that are so luxurious and my temple is being ignored? Ezra had finished the temple, had not finished the temple because he was listening to the world. Is this the reason that we have strayed away from God today? That we're paying more attention to the world than we are to him? You see, we have a foundation that I described briefly a while ago, but we, have spent, we now spend our time and energy divided in working for ourselves, and we are making poor choices. The temple was a focal point for Judea's relationship with God. Instead of rebuilding the temple, the people were putting their energies and their focus on their own homes. The harder the people work for themselves the less productive they became because they were ignoring their spiritual lives. They were lacking what they truly needed. They needed to be obedient to God as the same happened to us today. Are we putting God first? You know, he will provide for our deepest needs. But do we trust him for that? Do we really believe that? If we put him any place but first, our efforts will ultimately be futile. Caring only for our comfort while ignoring God's call will ruin our relationship with him. Because the people had not put God's will first, their work was not fruitful or productive. And their material possessions didn't satisfy them. Because of their priorities, God's blessings were being withheld because they no longer obeyed him. You know, Moses had predicted that this would happen if the people resulted, the people neglected God and gotten things out of order. They were focusing on work, family, and then God. In the Old Testament, the temple was built out of gold and it was just absolutely gorgeous. It was a thing of beauty. In the New Testament, as we hear Jesus, Jesus is interested in you. As God's temple. And he builds you not out of a goal, but he builds you on God's word. You have great value to God. Far more valuable to him than any gold that you could find. Far more beautiful to him than any temple we could build. So the temple we need to build is us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you realize that 
all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Do you realize that you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? We are a unified assembly. We are not to be seen as a collection of competing interests or independent individuals. John 17, 21 reads, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will know that you sent me. This prayer was for his disciples, but it is for us today. Jesus had a great desire that his disciples would be unified. This would be a powerful witness to God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. We have the opportunity to demonstrate that unification and that power of God through us. We can pray for each other, which strengthens us in him. We should be united as a house of prayer. Matthew 21, 13, he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. Remember now, we just heard that you are his temple. My temple shall be a house of prayer. Jesus goes on, and sometimes we forget the rest of that verse. It says, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. In the first 15 verses of Haggai, he is asking God's people to consider their ways. In verses 2 through 4, they neglect time. They'd been back in Jerusalem for 18 years, and for 16 of those years, they had done nothing productive to rebuild the temple. Their priorities did not sense the need for being productive for God. In verses 3 and 4, they neglected the truth. They lost their focus. They looked after self and become complacent to God. In verses 5 through 11, they neglected the needs of the people. They needed to conform to God's ways. You can put forth a lot of effort, but if you have not conformed to God's ways, it will be of little profit. God wants us to examine our lives and to make the most of them for his glory, not for our benefit. So my question is, are you sowing abundantly and reaping meagerly? Verse 8 speaks to the need to comply. And verse verse 9 speaks to the need to confess. And verse 10 and 11, the need to be concerned. In verses 12 through 15, we see that there's a change. They were submissive. They learned to obey. They begin begin to be supported and stirred by God. They become sincere. Think back to the opening part of his message this morning. We see a nation blessed and formed from the word of God. Yet it is estimated that 4,000 to 5,000 churches close their door each year. The reason that so many close is because... Members today are like those we heard about in Scripture this morning. They are focused on other priorities. So often today we hear of people that want to rewrite or reinterpret the Constitution. They also want to rewrite or reinterpret God's Word to fit their emotions. Others attend service and occupy a chair or a pew. 
They do not serve, do not encourage, rather they push personal agendas and bring chaos every opportunity they have. You see, churches do not dissolve overnight. This is the goal of the evil one, to divide us and to dissolve God's body. The people of Israel found themselves in a similar situation. Today's story is a great illustration of the modern church. God delivered them from captivity, bondage, and he blessed them and gave them a task. In the same way, in this nation, God has walked with us, protected us, and has blessed us mightily. Sadly, it seems we are now ignoring his commands, forsaking our duty as his servants and living for ourselves instead of for him. We have abandoned truly exalting him, and he is worthy of our praise. We've abandoned him because we are too busy. We, we don't even find time to pray unless the time is so, we are so desperate that we seek out for him. We don't have time to fellowship as a body. We heard that these people, these people today were too busy as they were building their own houses. We should be building up God's house. We no longer offer our treasures to the Lord, and this is not just about money. It's about the talents that God has blessed each and every one of us with. You see, it's our ability to serve others that we are called to do. Our withholding our talents, our tithe, it affects the growth of his kingdom. We have abandoned encouraging and supporting each other, and we've walked away from edification Instruction and education is how we grow grow closer to God. You can make a difference with just a smile and just a few words of encouragement. You know, it's estimated that Billy Graham in his lifetime had an audience, including his broadcast on radio and TV, that topped 2.2 billion people. This means approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. That's hard to wrap, wrap your mind around. However, the ministry started a long time before that first revival or that first broadcast. It started back with one volunteer teacher in Sunday school. You can look up the names of Mordecai Ham or Edward Kimball. They meant a lot to Billy Graham. We should mold our temple to make it a house of prayer. When you do this, You won't just survive. You will absolutely thrive. We need to be a living example pointing to the true and perfect temple, that of Jesus Christ. So have you considered your focus in life? Is there anything that needs to be addressed in your life? Are you living much like the Jews that we heard about this morning? How is God calling you to serve him right now? Maybe you struggle because you've truly relied, you have not relied on your salvation. The Lord has set in order a process, a plan for his people, and that includes each of you. Each of you to mature in your faith and to grow spiritually. We need to make that effort, and that includes your time and your resources to obediently follow him. 
I want to very quickly, because I'm about out of, I, I am out of time. Chapter 2, verse 23, if you get a chance, read it. It talks about a signet ring, sometimes called a seal ring. The signet ring remains as a symbol of social and cultural identity. It, it, it also uh, has evolved over time to talk about authority. It's mentioned at least six times in the Old Testament, and sometimes it's designated as a sign of ownership. In Daniel 6.17, it was used to seal the stone over the lion's den. In this verse, God is telling the son of the governor, I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoke. God is pleased and promises strength and guidance when we make him first in our lives. We hear Haggai encouraging, encouraging those that they must return and be faithful to God. Giving and serving is a way of showing that you trust Jesus. Has God given you a direction, but you're waiting because you think, as the people in the scripture this morning, it's not time? Or are you avoiding God's calling because you think the work is too hard are not what you thought it would be? Are you giving God the scraps of what's left over? Is your focus truly on him? Isaiah 51.1 says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were dug. Let's not let all that has been done before us fade away. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. God's plan involves you, just as it did for those in the Bible and for all those saints that came before us. God wants you to participate in his word to save the lost. Your obedience will provide a legacy and faithfulness for generations to follow. You will not make a difference just sitting in a chair. You make a difference by walking with the Lord. You must be an active servant of the creator of all of us. Focus on him first. God has not changed from the words that are written in scripture. He is the same. His desire for us is the same. Amen. Amen.